What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, hammering it home. This spring, there's a lot of awesome stuff coming up. Headed into the summer as well. Last chance broadhead shoot with West Coast Archery. May 15th through the 17th. And also coming up June 13th in Reno is the Dead Eye Golf Tournament. For more information and more details, check them both out on Instagram. I'm sure you'll have no problem finding their accounts. Also get ready, Yeti Total Archery Challenge. It's going to be a blast. Hope to see everyone there. Thanks. The point game for me has just always been. Oh, it's. I don't really. Play I'm over it. it. I, I really. I gave up. I had max points in Montana for moose, sheep, mountain goat, and I just. Why am I sending the money? Yeah. I got less than one percent on all this shit. Yeah. Fuck it. You know, Did you lose all it, your points? I don't know if they're gone now or not. I don't know. I don't care. I'm just. Wow. And that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. <clears throat> just for what? investment right yeah it's yeah. just like just for that 0.08 percent chance that maybe it's gonna happen yeah it's just like to me i'd rather take that money and put it towards like i'm going on all these crazy hunts coming up mm-hmm. new caledonia ukraine kazakhstan and shit like that so it's like you know ah frustrating uh-huh and it's all i hate to say it <clears throat> it's all because of epic hunts and yeah. Eastman's and hunting fool and all that stuff. It was never like that. And all these things started coming up. And We're just giving like, it. This is too easy. It's all about the information. <clears throat> well, yeah. The Before f- you had to go and research that yourself. Yeah. And you had a chance. Yeah. Now that it's all given to you in a magazine or internet or whatever like that, it's just like, bah, everybody's in the game now. Yeah. And it's brutal. I got my best chance of drawing anything this year on stuff that I've already put in for is uh, Mountain Goat in Utah and that's only at 20 to 25 percent chance mm-hmm. but it's still, is that because you better. have max points no I have 20 points for Mountain <clears throat> Goat in Utah if I had 21 I would draw yeah but that point creep every year I'm a point behind you're a point behind I'm point creep I'm a point creep. behind every <laughs> freaking year it's so disgusting I'm like ah yeah you know, it's just brutal. It's like, come on. And now I've gotten to a point where I've got so many points in some states. It's, we can even get into that. Yeah. It, it's stupid what I'm doing, what I've done. Hunt. Just hunt. Yeah. I've been putting in for 20 years for... Specific tags? Yeah. Yeah. In Arizona elk, Utah elk and all yeah. that stuff. But, you, but you've drawn when some I, pretty epic tags. Yeah, but I haven't drawn any of that where you could put in for lesser hunts and go hunt every five years. I could have hunted elk five different times in Arizona but I haven't hunted elk because I got now 24 points Yeah. and all the pressure it's like well at this point I guess I'm going to have to hire an outfitter yeah. to, to make it worthy of you know next year 25 points or whatever the case what do you what do you put in for with 25 points in Arizona anything I want really yeah. I mean I can draw virtually every archery hunt in the state other than 23 uh-huh. and I have 100% chance and what's 23? Uh, 23 north and south. I can't remember which one. 
one of them's kind of dropped off, but the other one is like one of the very best in the state. Premier. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if it's going to take 25 years uh, to draw yeah, the tag. Yeah, there's only five non-resident tags. It's just another thing that makes it harder. Yeah. Not like nine and ten that have, I don't know how many non-resident tags. But. Right. Well, California has unlimited <clears throat> non-resident tags. There's no limitation to, to resident to non-resident tags. Yeah, but they can only draw one for like, yes, antelope. Yeah, for antelope. Sheep. Sheep. And elk. Sheep, they're... I don't remember how the I I know how the sheep yeah, I works. I can't remember. Once they it. draw one <clears throat> non-resident, it's shut down to all the rest. So yeah. I think the same with with yeah. elk and antelope too, and yeah. stuff like that. But. Deer is unlimited. Right. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I looked up my odds on go hunt. I mean, I got a pretty damn decent chance of drawing, like, lasso antelope because mm-hmm. I have max points. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's, it's probably the second hunt, not the first hunt. Uh huh. Yeah. Some water before we start. Um, in case I get this little. Uh, I mean, I got water in my car. No, I mean we're already recording for five minutes. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tricky bastard. But I can get. I can fill you up some water. Yeah. If you give me a second. I, had a, I had that chest bowl and stuff. No, that's not good. I don't like that. We've already recorded. Tricky bastard. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I roll. Well, and that's the whole thing, too, yeah. You got to keep you, you guessing. Yeah. I can't guarantee this is going to be the best tasting water you've ever had. No, it's just wet the whistle. You know? So, don't, don't judge me for it. Yeah. Well, I guess you can't buy damn water in the stores. People are buying it up and hand sanitizer and everything. Are they really? Oh, yeah. Because of the... Yeah, I was listening to the news on the way here, and they are like I'm saying... I'm not going to kill you, I promise. They say, uh, like hand sanitizer, a two-pack on Amazon right now for $100. Really? They're just gouging and shit like that. I think I got a bunch of hand sanitizer. It's going to be a little interesting taste. It's wet. Yeah. <clears throat> it's wet. But uh, for me, man, I've never used... Any of the any of the informational websites to find out where to go hunt. I've never. Yeah. Well. I've never. So I've never been a. You know. I've never subscribed to any of the magazines. Yeah. I mean, my entire life. Yeah. You know, I've always just been a big proponent of where can I go hunt now. Yeah, and that's and the then that's thing. where I go hunt, and mm. I know that no matter what especially coming out of California yeah. as a hunter, I'm going to hunt harder probably than 90% of most of the people out there. That's the fact. You know, so I know, and especially even in general units yeah. in other states are always going to produce if you hunt hard well, compared to California general units. Absolutely. Not producing 99% of the fucking the time. You, if you could draw, and you can in some units in Colorado draw every other year yeah learn that unit you have a better chance of killing a big buck because you now know the unit yep. you know their bedding areas or feeding areas travel corridors all that kind of stuff you have a better in general units then drawing a place every 12 or 15 years right or just walking in there you know i drew a damn good unit which i did in 2018 i drew a third season rifle tag in a pretty damn good unit mm-hmm. you know i ended up killing a decent 24 25 inch buck yeah you can do that every other year in a general unit in a gen in an easier to draw 
unit. Yeah. Instead of me waiting nine years or whatever yeah. to draw that and kill up okay buck. Well, for me, the <clears> biggest thing is that I just want to hunt and I just want to be outdoors and I just want to be submersed in the outdoors all the time and I've always felt like if I'm wasting time putting in for limited entry draws and never getting drawn and it's taking 5, 10, you know, whatever, 15 years, you know, why am I going to waste my time not hunting when I can just find a general unit to go hunt and be hunting and I mean, sure, whether or not I kill something is up in the air, you know, but <laughs> you what, agreed 100%. I got a pretty like good success exactly rate as far as what I'm saying, putting animals in the it's dirt. Like, so, I've been in the field in one way or the other for nearly 50 years. Yeah. I killed my first deer here in California in 1973. Yeah, it's a long time ago. So, I've, you're an old man, yeah, and I've killed a lot of animals, <laughs> and now I've gotten to this trophy hunting phase of my life, which has been the death of me now because mm-hmm. now I'm not hunting a lot of years. And focusing yeah, more on focusing more on want to kill that which I mean it's not the end of the world I do want to kill a 370 bull mm-hmm. you know that's why I've got all these points in this not space. even a 400 just a 370 yeah, 370 yeah you know stuff like that yeah 400 come on you know social media has made that 400 inch bull and a 200 inch buck behind every freaking bush yeah you know because that's all you see and stuff like that right. I just want to kill some nice nice animals but now I've got myself into this mess with all these points what do you do what do you do what do you do Mm -hmm. and I'm not hunting Mm -hmm. I mean I'm hunting but I'm not that's one reason now I've got kind of addicted to coos deer because I can draw a pretty damn good tag every two to four years in Arizona Mm -hmm. and I will draw a December coos tag this year and Uh, go have a freaking blast yeah you know because I know the area I've hunted there before so, well, and it makes it more fun when you get to yeah. hunt an area regularly. That, like, yeah, you know where to go and stuff. It's not like, oh, it's a crapshoot where we're going this morning. Well, when I really started diving back into hunting in 2007, 2008, you know, head over heels back into it and spending a lot of time doing it, you know, it was like, well, I can, I can wait for my X zone tag and draw my X zone tag every you know, seven to ten years yeah, for the unit yeah, that me yeah. and my family put in for. Or I can understand the D zone and explore the D zone and really thrash yeah. and put time in for the D zone every single year. Every time I say D zone, I feel like I'm saying dick zone, but it's not <laughs> yeah, the dick yeah. zone. It's, well, see, that's the whole thing. My family it's the Sierra's has, West Slope, but... My family has been hunting X3A since we could buy it over the counter. Mm-hmm. So it's got that... You know that heritage, that family thing, where I want to go there, and you and know it's it. the same thing as you. You yeah. got to wait every five to seven years to draw. And go seven there. to ten, but yeah, and it's a shit show. Yeah. You know, yeah. but it's that nostalgia of going there. So now, nah, so I just go up there, go camping. I'm done trying to draw that crap on the. I did draw it last year on the archery hunt, and it was a shit show. I got sick, so I didn't really get to put the effort into it, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. Yeah, what I don't know a lot about is the C zone. The C zone is supposed to be yeah, pretty I, good. I haven't hunted the C zone in probably 20 years. I'm sure everybody that yeah. listens to the podcast that knows the C zone yeah. is probably like shut the fuck up. Don't yeah. talk about yeah, C exactly. zone. <laughs> I'm actually upset with myself because I don't since I started hunting D zone, I don't go to B zone like I used to. 
That was my big mm-hmm. thing, hunting B-Zone all the time, backpacking into the wilderness areas and stuff like that, and I've kind of got away from that. Mm-hmm. But I want to get back to that before I leave Re-adventure the state. Before into I leave that. the state when I retire. Yeah. yeah, get back into the B-Zone and get back into... Some of it, like the Yolo Bullies, unfortunately, it's turned into a shit show. I mean, there, I still go back in there... Like I said, I haven't been there in a few years, but go back in there and see more bear than deer. Yeah. You know, it's overgrown. It's just, yeah, not managed properly and stuff like that. But, you know, I need to get back into hunting more of the bee zone. That's where I grew up hunting in the bee zones in Mendocino. We hunted there every year. It was a family tradition. When I was a kid, that's what we did. Back then, you could join a hunting club. Mm-hmm. That didn't cost an arm and a leg, and the whole it was a big family thing. Yeah, you know, grandfather, uncles, and all that stuff. And we spent virtually the whole summer up there. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course we'd come home, but we'd go back from we knew we'd hunt archery through the end of rifles. We were up there, you know, twelve weekends in a row, three day weekends, all kind of stuff throughout the summer. That was the highlight of the summer, going to hunting camp. But you know, kind of gotten away from. You know, you got all these big clubs buying up those things. Now it's unattainable. I was looking on a website the other day, and these guys had property and stuff, and they wanted $6,500 for a blacktail hunt. Yeah. That's, like, that's insanity. Trophy blacktail hunts. Yeah. And then you look at the pictures and go, huh? But, eh, it is what it is. Supply and demand. You know, right. I mean, if guys, if there's guys out of state that want to come in and shoot a nice blacktail deer. They want to have know, a... So they'll pay that, yeah. you know. $30,000 for a Thule elk hunt because you can't do it any other way as a non-resident. There's no way. Yeah. You yeah. can't. So. Thule elk hunting is like, I don't want to say it's the pinnacle of elk yeah. hunting, but it's the necessity for, you know, yeah. all North your American 29, you got to yeah. do it. You got to pay the money. Yeah. You got to do yeah. it. So there's like, no way, no, there's no, no way, way around, around it. it. Yeah. So. You know? I've pretty much given up on the North American 29, and my goal for the past umpteen years is just to hunt as many different species, and now I'm expanding on that internationally, going to different countries to hunt different species because the North American 29 is not obtainable unless I somehow win the lotto. Yeah. It's just, it's an, something's not going to happen. Right. You know, so expand the horizons on some different animals that people are like what the hell is that thing mm-hmm. a rusa deer or a hunting sika deer in ukraine people are like what right ukraine <laughs> joe biden <laughs> no but there's hunting there too yeah <laughs> it's amazing how much hunting is all over the planet yeah, that people don't pay attention to and stuff like that and, you know well it just kind of starts getting pre- not even pricey sometimes you know because there's some hunts that you can get for less than you're paying for for a big bull hunt in yeah, you know absolutely. New Mexico or you know Montana. Yeah, you can or, hunt Africa. You can all do all these other yeah. hunts. Some of them this are like Caledonia, twelve and a half, thirteen thousand dollars. Yeah, for yeah. a lot cheaper than a doggone you know pack in horseback hunt back into some wilderness for a three hundred three thirty inch bull. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. I'd rather go do something else. So, what was it like getting your first deer? Would you say in '73? Yeah, like '73. Yeah. What was yeah. that like for you? Oh, it was, it was pretty cool. But I, unfortunately, it was on one of those ranches that we were members to a deer club, mm-hmm. and my parents had gone home. My dad had gone home for the weekend, and I stayed an extra day with my uncle. 
and uh, went out just walking the hills with my uncle. I spotted the buck, so he let me shoot it. Mm-hmm. And it was a shit show. I shot it in the ass. <laughs> nice. You know, I shot it in the ass, and we had to go over and recover it. My uncle uh, shot it in the neck, and then it's because of one of those things where I was just left with uncles and friends. And it's like, okay, what are we going to do with this? So we drag it back, throw it in the Jeep, take it to camp. Everybody's kind of looking around at each other. That's like, all right, let's just hook it up to the Jeep and pull the hide off. You know, mm-hmm. one of those shit. And they end up pulling its head off. Yeah. Uncle had shot it in the neck. <laughs> so they end up pulling the head off of it. Ruined the cape. My first deer is a hell of a nice deer. It's still on my wall at home. Um, actually had to, the taxidermist provided the cape for it. But it was a damn nice. Yeah. Three by two, you know, 17 inches wide, almost 20 inches tall. Six inch eye guard on one side, five inch eye guard on the other side. No, hell of a damn nice black tail, but without my dad there and stuff like that, it was kind of like one of those things, you know, okay, we'll get this kid's deer taken care of. All of a sudden, yank the head off, like, uh, <laughs> great. <laughs> Super bummed out. Do you still have the head yeah. or no? Yeah, it's still in the wall at home. Is it? Yeah, like I said, the taxidermist replaced got us another cape for me and yeah it's on the wall all these years yeah still on the wall I should have it remounted one it's got to be a fun story to relive though oh yeah absolutely I can remember I can remember like it was yesterday Uh going up there and telling my hey there's a buck alright alright get yourself a rest get a good aim squeeze boom shoot in the ass (laughs) how old were you Uh, I was 13 I guess Mm -hmm. something like that yeah yeah it was it was pretty cool. It would have been nice to do it with my dad or something like that, but, you know, uncle. Mm-hmm. So, like, this year you did a, a pretty phenomenal hunt. Oh, this past season, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Alaska DIY dropped in the middle of nowhere. 16 days. Right. On your own. So, before we dive into the actual hunt, what was the planning and the preparation like for you? Like, what did, what, you know, it sounds like you use Go Hunt quite a bit, maybe. Yeah. Um, what were your research tools? What were you doing in order for you to plan this DIY hunting adventure? Actually, I was invited by another friend mm-hmm. at the Utah Hunting and Conservation Expo. Yeah. Four years prior. Oh, really? Yeah. So it had been planned out for four yeah. years. Yeah. Well, actually, I had missed. The original hunt, because uh-huh. of what happened was he invited. He goes, "Hey, Mike, are you interested in this hunt?" Yeah, that sounds awesome. You know, hook me up and stuff like that. Well, at that point, there was too many of us to go to one camp, so we split off, and the two guys that I ended up with, one ended up canceling. And the other one ended up like, hey, I'm having some financial things. Can we postpone? Uh-huh. So I didn't go on the original hunt. was booked for 2017. So I had to split off from the original guy that invited me. I had to split off from that and rebook. We tried to rebook in 18. There was only one slot open. The booking agent was on a hunt when we determined, okay, we'll take that slot. By the time he got back, that spot had been taken. So we had to postpone again. 
to 2019. So then it had been like four and a half years <laughs> since the original booking. Four and a half years waiting for this. Yeah. So, like I said, the one the original guy had completely backed out. So it was just me and my buddy Tony at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, now the original guys had gone two years earlier. So they were a source of information. You know, you know, and their whole thing was, you know, food, food, food. Forget packing a shitload of clothes. You're not going to need it. You're going to stink. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Bring lots of food. You're going to need the calories out there. And you know what's so funny about that? And that was kind of something that I learned this year after being, you know, what, seven months of nonstop fucking hunting from one Mm -hmm. camp to the next was that when it really comes down to it, clothing is not a big deal. Like, the right clothing, 100%, that is percent, deal, yes. that's, that's the, the right gear and the right clothing for warmth and yeah. comfortability, but excessive amounts of clothing or extra pairs of all different kinds of stuff, kind of irrelevant, doesn't yeah. really matter much. No, I mean, as nasty as it sounds, I wore basically the same Kuyu base layer for two weeks, mm-hmm. you know? Did I smell it's somewhat at the man. end? Absolutely. For, but, for, for me, having been on multiple, you know, 10 to 15 day hunts yep. this year and not changing my base layers, yeah. you know, for long periods of time, uh-huh. I totally understand that yeah. because it, it doesn't matter, it, and, you know, in yeah. my opinion. Sure. And on a drop hunt like this... You don't want to run out of food. Mm-mm. You don't want to run out of food, which I actually ended up with excessive food. Not much. Mm-hmm. I mean, what food I was did down you bring? My, I was down to my last peak refuel. You were using peak. Yeah. The peak guys are fucking yeah. amazing people. Phenomenal. And, you yeah. know. They have developed a product, and yeah. I know everybody hears about it often enough for me that they're probably annoyed and yeah. it's regurgitated. Oh, every, but Every meal that I had was above expectations tasted phenomenal and mm-hmm. stuff like that well and it's a great source of yeah. protein a great source yeah. of calories and it's actually yeah you know yeah. i don't know it hasn't fucked my guts up yet yeah. at least but no not at all and stuff like that and we were unable to be picked up on this scheduled day because mm-hmm. of weather oh <laughs> i've heard <laughs> that that one, can happen I, up yeah, there absolutely. fairly and i had one uh, of the strawberry granola breakfasts left thank god that's my those f- things are phenomenal absolute favorite breakfast yeah. we 100% hotel, we ate them in the hotel room at the hunt expo because uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're super delicious they're good yeah well it's so funny to me because like people don't understand how good yeah they actually are until you have it yeah and that that speaks volumes when you're in the hotel room and then when like dude sitting sitting here at home there's yeah. been times when i'm like man i'm way too lazy to cook anything <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna boil some water and have a peek yeah you know yeah so that was uh that was all my meals there and stuff like that so what'd you guys go hunt moose so you decided to do a moose hunt yep and now is this guided? This is just you and your buddy. No, this just is me and my buddy. It's just a uh, DIY, just a taxi. Mm-hmm. You know, they they fly, fly in, fly out there, and drop you off. Pre scouted, and they have 
X amount of places where they can drop hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, some they drop on lakes using float planes. Uh, they chose us to drop us on dry land, mm-hmm. super cubs, mm-hmm. which dry land is, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of it. Actually, the first spot that they had pre-scouted and they had a place where they could land, we couldn't land. Really? It was too wet. Really? And that was a trip when you come in. You know, I was on my first Super Cub adventure, which was worth the price of admission itself. It was phenomenal. Uh-huh. You know, seeing all that game and seeing all that land from... Well, how know, cool is that to just fly over... Yeah, it's just, it's amazing. The area. Like, holy crap. You know, this is so badass. Uh-huh. But what a trip it was when we came in to land and we're touching down and all of a sudden... He hits the throttle and we take off again. You're like, whoa, what the hell was that? Yeah. You know, and he's like, well, it's too wet right there. We'll come back around and try a different... Look for a a drier landing spot. Well, no, we tried a couple times because there were so many moose in that area. I mean, it was phenomenal. You're looking down at all these bulls, all these big racks swaying down there. Cow cow moose running all over the place Mm -hmm. and these big bulls bedded or herding the cows and stuff like that. And you're going, oh my gosh. Now, was this rifle or archery? Either or. Oh, really? I brought a bow and I brought a rifle. And what'd you end up? We'll get to that, I yeah. guess. But we tried to land in that spot a second time uh-huh. and just couldn't do it. Really? Yeah, because he touched down again and took off, hit the throttle. I'm like, ah! And we were flying away. I was going, no! Yeah. <laughs> well, we only flew a, a couple miles away and were able to land, but on foot, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go hike back over there those two miles and kill a bull it's just not feasible mm-hmm. you know it's only two guys you're talking a 1500 pound animal I mean it's not it's and not they feasible. have very strict wanton waste laws and oh yeah up I've there. never seen anything like it but it was it's very I wish all states did that because mm-hmm. that is that is the trophy right there yeah all that delicious I brought home 400 pounds of amazing Meat. My partners at work make fun. What are you eating tonight, Mike? Mm-hmm. Well, I got uh, moose spaghetti. What are you eating tonight, Mike? I got some uh-huh. backstrap. What are you eating tonight? Moose tacos. <laughs> you know, it's phenomenal meat. And I'm glad, you know, that the Alaska laws are like that. Uh-huh. I mean, there. I took out probably as much neck off that moose, neck meat off that moose as I do some of those little coastal blacktails. Yeah. The amount of meat was just phenomenal. It's just Unbelievable, but it's a lot of meat. When I put my bull down, I mean, I'm not like the master of breaking down a bull moose. I've only killed <laughs> one other bull moose, but when we stopped taking photos and put the knife to that moose, 19 straight hours from, from skinning to that, yeah, we had packing out and meat. everything back and to camp. And then finally the cape and the antlers, 19 straight hours. Wow. <laughs> Something else. What a hole. How far <laughs> yeah. out of camp were and you And that guys? was only, as the crow flies, a little over half a mile. Really? But you're in that muskeg, that nasty, you know, spongy, all that kind of stuff. And it's a lot of work. Man. Alaskan funk. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I mean, you learn really quickly what to step on what not to step on after you're up there really yeah there's certain shades of green yeah it's a nasty sponge uh-huh. if you can get into some of the lighter stuff more there was some white like lichen we knew that was hard ground really you weren't gonna sink 
So you try to find those paths, but there's not a whole lot of that. Yeah. You know? But, so you're hiking with 150 pounds of moose on your back. Um, in some instances, in some instances we brought actually, which was phenomenal, was one of those, uh, thick plastic sleds that you see, mm -hmm. they just roll up into a roll. Yeah. We've, dude, my fan we've been using those for yeah. years. Well, what a concept up there. Because mm -hmm. once we threw a lot of the heavier stuff onto that. The sled. The sled and actually got it out of that muskeggy stuff. To the hard, harder ridge lines, which I'm not talking ridge lines. We're still you're only talking 50 feet in elevation from the ridge line to the bottom where yeah. we were. There's not a lot of elevation, but once you could get up on one of those spots with that that lighter, that white type of lichen or whatever it was, you could motor pretty good with the sled. Mm -hmm. But getting to those points was just like you know dog sled, and you got meat on your backpack, and you know you're not gonna. Some guys, okay, you're going to carry a big old moose hind quarter. Dude, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm 58 years old and stuff like that. It's just, yeah, some of those youngsters maybe are doing that stuff and more power to them. Or they got that big old head and antlers and hide. Yeah, no way. I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. You know? And so that sled was tits. Yeah. Came in handy for some of that heavy, Super heavy stuff. helpful. Yeah, you throw the back straps and stuff in your backpack. How big is a back strap off oh, of dude, a moose? It's retarded how big it is. Is it? Yeah, just retarded how big. You know, five foot long slab of God's perfect protein. It's right. Amazing. Yeah. And tastes so good. <laughs> what were the nights like out there? I mean, did you guys get it? Was there northern lights or? Uh, no, not. We weren't that far enough north. We were in yeah. the Yukon Delta National Wildlife Refuge. Uh huh. So it's at the south, well, up out of Bethel, Alaska. So mm -hmm. you're still not, I mean, I imagine in certain circumstances you could see. I've seen them. Depending the, on the time I've of year. seen the northern lights when I was in the Northwest Territories and I was above tree line. I'm, I've seen the them Arctic, in Montana. So, yeah, above yeah. the Arctic Circle and stuff like yeah. that. But, you know, most nights we were in the tent because it was getting cold and there were long days and, you know. We just didn't see a whole lot of that. I mean, it was pretty spectacular. I got some cool nighttime photos and stuff like that, but mm -hmm. we didn't see any northern lights, per se, while we were there. But, yeah, just an amazing adventure. Adventure. So how many days were you out there before you we were in the field for We were in the field for a total of 16 days. Okay. And I, what day did you kill on? Number three. Really? Number three. And so you guys both had tags? Yes. Did you fill both tags? No. Okay. And it wasn't for not trying. I mean, yeah. we did try. Didn't put the effort into it that I had hoped for my friend. Uh-huh. Um, for some reason, I don't know. He, I've known him for years. He's a hard hunter. But for some reason, after I killed my bull, we never left camp before 10 in the morning. Uh huh. Which I told him at one point. I'm like, hey, bud, how bad do you want this? He's like, what do you mean? I go, how bad do you want this? I want it bad. I go, well, you got to get out of bed in the morning. You got to have your crap together. Yeah. And we're laying in the tent and you can hear bulls raking, you know? Really? And grunting and stuff. And we're still in bed. Yeah. I go, I've already killed a bull. I'm not going to get up out of bed and come on, dude. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. 
I'm not sorry. Yeah. I'm here for you. Yeah. I will do whatever it takes for you to get a bull. Yeah. I will get up whenever you want. I'm packing the 338 Winchester in case you want to drop the bow and kill your bull with a rifle. Mm-hmm. I'm here to pack and do whatever you need. Yeah. And he's like, okay, all right, we'll do it. I go, yeah, we got to come back to camp at one or two and take a nap. All right. We still never left the camp before 10 a.m. the rest of the hunt. Really? That's funny. I don't just, I don't know. Sometimes it goes that way. Yeah, though. I mean, you know, we got weathered in. They sent us the text on the inReach. Hey, guys, relax. We're not going to be able to get you today. And he's like, hey, let's grab the rifle and go kill a bull. I'm like, dude. We got to be camp broken and ready in the morning for them to pick us up. It's five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Well, you know, we can pack meat all night like we did with your bull. It's not feasible. Yeah. I've packed this rifle around so that you could kill any bull you saw. Yeah. And it, I mean, had opportunities. Yeah. We, you know, I don't want to say we, but there were mistakes made. Yeah. You know, you call in a decent bull. He stops, you draw back, he takes two steps. You gotta rearrange that. Them things have long legs. Yeah. And he shot right under a bull. He's like, I was right on it. I'm like, man, he took two steps. Yeah. That's a big difference in range. Yeah. Well it's not like a deer taking two steps yeah, either. Exactly. Um he had another just an absolutely amazing opportunity. Sixty yards from the tent. Mm-hmm. Sixty yards from the tent, the second biggest bull we saw in the whole hunt. Mm-hmm bull was standing behind the willows at 20 yards he's waiting he's waiting he calls me over to film and I'm like I come over I've got the camcorder I'm like I see the bull's antlers I'm like I'm not going to screw this up I'm stopping it's not worth it you know he's waiting for the bull to step out and he reaches up turns on the GoPro beep 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 bull's Bulls out of there I'm like dude are you kidding me right now yeah you know, he had another bull at 17 yards towards the end of the hunt. Not a big bull, but a nice bull with a bow. Mm-hmm. 17 yards, man. Whack! He hits that bull with his arrow. And I'm like, oh! He hit it two feet into the right high up in the top of the scapula and the top of the shoulder. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, who's my... I got hung up my rain hood. It was one of those things. The arrow went in about six, eight inches, and the bull ran off like hit the bone. Yeah, and like stopped. Was, you know, stung by a mosquito. Yeah, and it ran off. So, I mean, there were opportunities. Yeah, he should have killed one with a bow. Shit happens. He could have killed multiple bulls with a rifle. Yeah, he chose to stick with the bow, which I give him all the credit in the world. Mm-hmm. I wanted to kill one with a bow. But when that big bull hung up, you know, we're calling, we got the silhouette decoy, and he hangs up in two 265 yards, and he starts going, you know. Time to get the right foot. Yeah, I'm like, him. you know what? He's too big. <laughs> yeah. He's just too big. He's not the widest bull on the, you know, out there, but when he turns sideways, his profile, a big bull's going to have a hell of a profile from the front point to the back of that pan. Yeah. And we had seen bulls, and we passed up bulls that looked nice, and they turn broadside, and they just don't have that depth. And this one turned side broadside, and I was like, oh, shoot. 
stop him, stop him, I'm going to shoot him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I got to rest through a, a pine tree with a rifle and hit him at 265. He bolted. I think the second shot, I'm pretty sure I missed. And he turned and started dead away, and I hammered him at 300, and he only went like 30 yards. And After that? Dropped, yeah. Done. Yeah, you can see the puff, you know, the hair where it went in and went up. Into, I recovered one of the bullets, and yeah, he didn't go very far. Unfortunately, we got it all on film, fortunately, but unfortunately, for some reason, he was panning out as I hit him. And you couldn't quite, it looked like you could see him go down, but he was panning out at that point, try to get everything. But at that point, he should have stayed panned in on him, and you could have seen the bull, I'm pretty sure, go down. Yeah. But, you know, we marked the spot and walked right to him, and he was laying there all piled up, and it was just like, oh, my God. And then the work began. Yeah, and I've walked up on a Shiris bull that I shot in Wyoming in 2014, and mm-hmm. a ginormous animal well over 40 inches wide which is a nice Shiris but to walk up on an Alaska Yukon bull it's a third bigger yeah. you're just like duh well you're, you're pushing 60 yeah, at that duh. point it's like, where, where what was the spread on your he was about 55 55 you know he looks really wide because he's all antler uh huh he doesn't have that space a, a buddy of mine he killed a 60 inch bull he's like dude how wide is that bull I'm like go back and look at the picture look at the air between his pans he's like oh you're right because you'll see some of these big wide bulls and they have all this air in between the pans if you really go back and look at my bull there's not that much air because he's all antler yeah you know he does have big wide palms and pans yeah and he does have some phenomenal points but he doesn't have all that air between his antlers mm-hmm. there's not all that space because he's all antler which is cool because he's going to fit in the house a lot better <laughs> you know yeah. he's got a ton of antler he's just not you know, he's just about 55. Yeah. You know, but he's, even some of the locals up there, um, there were some guys that hired the same outfitter because they're tired of fighting them. They live there locally, but they're tired of all the guys that are going in on their four-wheelers and side-by-sides. So they go every other year and get flown in. Yeah, flying way back. just staring at the pictures and the bull and stuff like that. You know, he's so cool. Yeah. Because he's got some really cool points. You know, he doesn't have that, that, that big front end that people talk about that big but he's got huge front ends they're just big you know points sticking out and then he's got a fork on one side and three on the other Mm -hmm. but it's so cool because he's so long and those points are so heavy out front yeah so it's not your typical but he's still I mean that's where you score him from whether it's a big palm out front or not you still it's still the same score it's just not all filled in yeah but I'm super super happy with him happy with the hunt it's just an adventure of a lifetime. Dude, where else are you going and you're reaching down, grabbing fresh frozen blueberries because they're frozen at night and stuff. Right. Like sherbet, man. They taste so good. Now, did you guys have any uh, occurrences with bears out there? Or? The only bear, saw one grizzly. They call them brown bears there. Mm-hmm. Um, was from the plane. Really? Yeah. Didn't see any bears. Didn't see any other mammals other than squirrels. And as far as having your meat in the, you know, around camp, would you just hang it in trees around camp for the... It actually, we never even got to that point. Uh-huh. Because we got the bull down and we are supposed to either satellite phone or we had the in-range to let them know, bull down. Yeah. So the outfitter knows you've got a bull down and then your next is 
ready to be picked up. Oh, really? We had got the moose back at 8 o'clock, 8 a.m. the next morning after I shot him and passed out in the tent. Well, we heard a plane fly over really low. Like, it woke us up. Yeah. And then it flew over again a lot lower. You know, one of the pilots happened to be flying by and he saw all the meat laying on a tarp. Yeah. We had tarps stretched out. You need those. Yeah. Keep the moose meat up out of the crap. Yeah. Keep it clean. So we had all that moose spread out on tarps right there at the tent. Mm-hmm. And he saw it, so he came in and freaking landed and we jumped up, you know, put on our clothes and we're like, oh shit, dude. Well, I mean, it's right in the brochure. You know, don't tell them your meat's ready to pick up. And it's not. Because yeah. they'll charge you... Gas. I think it's like fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, they'll back. charge you flying fee. Well, we never told him the moose was ready. Yeah, but he was there. Yeah, he flew over. He saw the meat. He circled, saw all the meat. It's like I'm gonna stop. And it was way cool. Yeah. So we never even had to build the old lean to and whatever you want to call them and yeah. get all the meat off the ground because man, he landed right then. Loaded he it up in the plane. in game bags and tagged it with their meat tags. Uh-huh. That way they keep everybody's uh, meat separate. Meat separate, and they know who's is who's. Yeah. They already had directions. Hey, I want it taken to this butcher there in town, and I had already given that butcher what I want. You know, steaks and ground, and how much added beef fat and stuff like that. So all that was taken care of. Mm-hmm. So we just bagged it up. We got half of the moose on the plane. He flew it back to the hangar. Flew back. And picked up the rest. Really? You know, so we never had to build anything to hang it up. Because it really, you know, there weren't any trees there big enough to hang that stuff. Yeah. Unless you walked away from camp, which you don't want to do, because then you got to bring it back to camp. Yeah. And you can't fight off any bears if any bears come in, because I had the 338, you know, because I was going to kill a moose regardless. Right. I'm not a diehard archery guy. I love shooting things with my bow it's nice to have the option yeah but exactly. if it turns it around and it's walking away at 250 yards yeah. my Cyrus moose hunt in Wyoming in 2014 I packed a rifle and a bow yeah and people commented on the photos that I posted on social media I'm like yeah I'd love to kill one with a bow but I'm not opposed to shooting it with a rifle shooting it with a rifle to get it done and that hunt was like I killed my bull on the 16th or 17th day of hunting oh really yeah Oh, wow. Just a long stretch. Yeah. You know, we were there for three weeks, and you had to take a day off now and again for physical and mental reasons to recoup. Yeah. Well, that's kind of an important deal, man. Like, dude, even if he goes six days straight hard, to take a day off and Mm -hmm. kind of sleep in a little bit and, you know... You can still hunt. I mean, I can still hunt, but I'll take it easier and slower than normal. I mean, I had every intention on both those moose hunts to try to do it with a bow, but I'm not, you know. Above shooting it with a rifle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I want to kill a nice bull. I mean, I don't, you don't get that many chances. For sure. I'm probably will never do another Alaska Yukon moose hunt. Yeah. So that was it. I'm going to take me home the best bull I can do regardless of what weapon mm. you know I'm just not that die hard yeah. you know could I have killed one with a bow absolutely yeah would it have been this big probably not yeah just you know like I said I'm at a point in life where I don't know if it's right or wrong but 
Mm -hmm. I'm trying to kill the biggest animal I can while I'm on the hunt. You know, I'm, I've killed enough animals in my lifetime that, you know, I want to kill big ones. Yeah. I don't, you know, every once in a while I kill a, a meat buck or whatever. Well, my, you know, I've shot meat bucks with my bow because it's towards the end of the hunt and I want to bring home some meat because my family loves the meat and unfortunately Jennifer really likes those young tasty bucks right. and kill some more of those small <laughs> youngsters they taste good right <laughs> but you know I'm so how much was that hunt you know for all costs said and done probably after the cost everything is so expensive in Alaska dude. Mm -hmm. it cost me $700 to have that thing butchered Oh really? To have it cut into family. I feel like that's I feel like frozen. that's not that bad though. Yeah. Because well, I mean, I'll stop and think about it. Well, I brought home four hundred pounds of meat. I'll take an elk somewhere, and it's usually about three hundred bucks. Yeah. For so, an elk, I mean, you know, so. So you're talking about a moose. It's going to be you know. Well, and here's the thing. Here's a kicker. They don't have any cows in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Three fifty a pound for beef fat. Have it mixed in. Oh wow. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, look, I like my stuff lean anyways, because they suggest 20%. No, I'm I don't want do 20%. 20. I'm a 10% yeah, guy. Yeah, I'm a 10 percenter. Yeah. You know, and sometimes seven. So, but we did 10%. Yeah, and I'll switch between pork yeah. or beef fat, yeah. depending. All they had available is beef fat, 350 yeah. yeah. So it costs $700. Yeah. You know, and to bring the meat home with me on the plane was to bring with my luggage and the meat was $670 really? on the plane. So, I mean, all said and done, it was probably close to 10 grand. Yeah. And then were you, did, was it in coolers? Yeah. Yeah. Did you buy all the coolers up there? Or? No, they had a guy, there was uh, some hunters in camp that ordered through Amazon Prime, had a bunch of coolers sent up there, and they didn't use them all. Uh -huh. So they were just left in the hangar. So we were moose season ended the day before we came out of the field new season was over yeah so most guys were home yeah you know there were still guys at the end that they were picking up because of weather they got stacked up so we got pushed back because of the weather and stuff like that so those coolers were just sitting there oh really yeah so they're like hey mike you want these coolers ah, absolutely yeah i'll you take know? them yeah 100 so I, I got a bunch of coolers at home i gave them a couple of them to my buddy i'm like hey gosh i already have you know, Yetis and Grizzlies all these, yeah, and all the coolers, coolers and stuff. Now I got all these extra igloos laying around and yeah. stuff. It's like, but they all they come in handy for certain. Can't have but, enough coolers now. now, but yeah, it was probably close to ten grand when it was all said and done, and that's not including taxidermy now. But hey, you know. uh, and then are you what are you doing a shoulder mount on it? Or? We're doing a pedestal. Oh really? Yeah, I might. It's a good, big ass pedestal. Yeah, it's gonna be a big. But I already have one. The Cyrus Moose moose pedestal and but we have one room in the house mm -hmm. which is basically i guess i don't know what you call it your living room family room whatever uh, that attaches me. to the formal dining room that is no longer a formal dining room because yeah. it's a trophy room and that's where we have most of the pedestals i have the pedestal moose already in there uh elk a pedestal uh oryx that i shut on the white sands missile range i have a pedestal a double pedestal antelope mount uh -huh. In there, I have an Audad that I shot in New Mexico pedestal. So that room's designated pedestals. There's there's animals on the walls, but that's mostly the pedestal area. You go into the other parts, 
portion of the house is all shoulder mounts and stuff like that. That moose will go in there, and then I'm gonna have to move a couple of the pedestals back into the designated shoulder mount. Yeah. Because I'm I'm running out of room. Yeah. So we gotta get we're gonna have to get creative. You know, just those two rooms are very very, you know, getting full. Mm-hmm. Not obnoxious, like you go into some people's. I mean, I had one buddy live down this way where we're at now, and it's just you. you you can't even see animals because there's so many animals on the wall. They all get lost in a big cluster fuck. Because he's just got them stacked up. Too many animals, not enough up. room. Yeah. yeah. And stuff. So I'm still trying to keep it so it looks decent. I mean, I have artwork on the walls and stuff like that. So it's not just not like stacked up Yeah. animals on top of animals. But we have not had to go into the uh, bedroom yet. But it's, we're not far off. Uh-huh. You know, there's animals in the hallway. There's animals in, the, like I said, family room, living room, what used, what was supposed to be a formal dining room. All the different places. Yeah. <laughs> but it's cool. We both enjoy it. I'm fortunate Jennifer loves the taxidermy and stuff like that. Yeah. She's she, a big fan for yeah, sure. She wants certain animals. Uh, she really wants a bison in the house. And, you know, my dad's got a musk ox that she really wants bad. Really? <laughs> yeah. A musk ox would be a fun animal yeah. to go do an archery hunt on. Yeah, yeah. As far as my dad's mounts, my my wife, she's like, well, when is that time? She goes, your brother can have everything else. We just want the musk ox. Uh-huh. You know, can have the red stag and all the mule deer and all that stuff. We want the musk ox. Yeah. yeah some mounts are just really, really cool. And a musk ox and a bison make amazing mounts and stuff. So My dad and my brother have a, a pretty neat thing. My dad's first really big respectable buck that he shot in california is just this really awesome looking mm-hmm. three and my brother his first really big california buck was almost an identical looking three mm-hmm. and uh it's just pretty neat you know and i've always just been like man my brother needs you know that's that's my brother's buck one yeah because he needs to have those two they're both shoulder mounted yeah he needs to have those two animals just side yeah. by side. You know, they're just yeah. beautiful animals. I have one brother, and he doesn't hunt anymore. He, uh-huh. I mean, he kind of sometimes buys a B zone tag because he's got a he's got a cabin up in Mendocino, so yeah, he'll buy a B zone or two tags and just kind of tool around on his side by side and whatever, you know. But you know, I think some of those mounts would look really nice in his cabin when the time comes and stuff like that. But yeah, that musk ox. I love that musk ox. And I just love taxidermy. Yeah. I mean, I love to just sit in the house and look at it stuff and relive all those things over and over. <clears throat> I mean, it's cool and to have a good taxidermist doing that stuff. Uh, Wildlife Revolutions up in Sparks, Nevada is doing my moose for me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's going to look really cool. But it's going to take up a lot of room. But, yeah, you know, you just relive all that stuff. I, I just love it. I love looking at all, <clears throat> even just the Europeans and stuff. Yeah. You know, we have on the walls and stuff. I just love reliving all that stuff. Shed antlers, deadheads, all that stuff. Just, ah, so cool. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, a great way to unplug and decompress, <clears throat> you know. and Yeah, we've actually put, <clears throat> in that one first room, we put a couple chairs in there just to sit there. There's no TV. There's no nothing. Oh, really? Yeah, just sit in there, have a cup of coffee. and Enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. With so many memories. 
so many things you're going to reflect back on. The, <laughs> the, photo, the photos on the walls, <clears throat> some of the shit shows and some of the different stuff. It's a lot of shit shows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They all have their own shit show. Their ups and downs and, you know, just... <clears throat> all arounds, emotional breakdowns. Well, yeah, and we we're talking about that Alaska moose hunt. I mean, what a shit show. I had to hit the SOS on the inReach. Oh, really? Something that you, you know, you don't ever want to do, but I had to do it one day. Why? One night, my buddy, he took off after a bull. Um, I reflect back on it, and, you know, I he just grabbed his bow and went and I thought about it it's like dude I sh- do, do you have your headlamp do you, it, it nothing I, he just took off yeah and I didn't even think about it all I told him was hey please you gotta be back by 8.30 it's getting dark by, be back at 8.30 that way we have time light to get out of here yeah his sense of direction was worse than I had ever thought and he just Got turned around in the black spruce. Things echo down there when I would yell to him or whistle to him, and he got turned around and he got out there, and it's pitch black at night out there, man. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, there ain't no there ain't no light. No, and there's not a hell. There's really no landmarks because it's really quite flat. A lot of it looks the same. And he just got turned around, and it was one of those nights where it was dropping below freezing and. He didn't even have a jacket. He didn't have his backpack. He had nothing. Yeah. But his bow. And it was one of those things. It's like, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? I mean, had we been just here somewhere, California, Colorado, Wyoming, but out there in Alaska, it's here. It's a little bit different. You know, friends of mine that have no concept. Well, what happens if they couldn't pick you up? Can you walk out? Oh, hell no. Yeah. You die. Yeah. There's no place. You can't walk out. You're in the middle of nowhere. It's an hour and a half plane ride out there into the middle of nowhere. There's nothing. You know, so, I mean, it was a grueling decision, but I had to hit the SOS on the inReach. Um, Coast Guard got back to me and asked what the circumstances were. I said, I got a lost hunter. Uh, below freezing temps, he's got no gear. He's got no fire starting no light, no jacket, nothing. Um, no water, no food, yeah. nothing. And they're like, unfortunately, at that point, because of weather, they weren't able to fly out. Um, but in the long run, it turned out okay, because I was able to find him the next morning before they were able to take off, so it saved him probably a lot of dough. Yeah. A lot of dough. Yeah. Um, the outfitter did send out two planes at first light. I don't think they charged him any money, but it was a lot Yeah. for all that fuel and stuff like that. I don't believe they charged him any money for that. So what ended it, What happened to him? Did he just sleep under a uh, bush? Well, his initial thing was he panicked, mm-hmm. which is the worst thing to do. Well, I'll tell you what. The first thing we teach in hunter's education when we're going through the safety bit, mm-hmm. first thing that we talk about is don't ever panic. Yeah. Hunker down. He Never panic. Yeah. He tried to get somewhere. Admit and know that you're lost. Yeah. He tried to get somewhere which 
he thought was the right direction. And it wasn't. And it wasn't. Yeah. A lot of water. He fell in the water. Hypothermic. He, he was wet up to his waist, up mm-hmm. to his crotch. Mm-hmm. Bad. Bad. Um, he lost a lot of his gear in the pitch black. He lost his vortex binoculars, my Leica rangefinder. Mm-hmm. He lost that Kuyu bino harness that had it all. He lost some of my uh, Kuyu gear that he was wearing and stuff. I mean, he lost a lot of gear in the dark in sheer panic. I mean, had he known he dropped the stuff, he could have found it, but he didn't even realize because he had taken, he was sweating because he was trying to hustle. And he took off his Peloton hoodie mm-hmm. and tied his bino harness and all that stuff into the hoodie around his waist. Yeah, he ended up losing all that stuff. That's rough, man. Yeah, you know, so he finally at some point gave up and knew he had to hunker down, so he, you know, cut off some pine balls and made himself a bed up underneath a spruce and, you know, had to get up every 20, 30 minutes and do jumping jacks to stay warm because he was wet. Yeah. But, you know, thank God he had some good gear. Like I said, he borrowed a bunch of my Kuyu. Mm-hmm. And he had that on and was able to stay warm just doing some calisthenics and jumping jacks and stuff like that. So how'd you end up finding him? Um, I had... That night when he initially got lost, I got to the highest point, which I said, there's not much elevation. But I had my headlamp on, flashlight, shooting multiple rounds from the 338, which he said was echoing so bad he couldn't tell which way. The next morning, it was quite still. So I got out there about an hour and a half before light. I didn't sleep but a few winks that night. Uh, the Coast Guard said, hey, look, dude, go back to your tent. We don't want to have to rescue two guys. Yeah. Go back to your tent, get some rest, get safe. So yeah. That's what, that's what I did. And um, like I said, I didn't get much sleep, but I was up well, well before light, hiked back up to that little high point. And the first round out of the 338, it was still that morning. He heard it. He could pinpoint. And it was the first time I heard his voice. In hours and hours and hours and hours, he yelled. At that point, I notified the Coast Guard and the outfitter via the inReach. Hey, look. I hear him. He's alive. Yeah. I'm going after him. Yeah. So basically, the outfitter said, well, we got two planes in the air to help. Um, Coast Guard was like, hey, keep us updated as quick as you can and let us know yeah. if he's okay. Because I said, I don't know if he's okay or nothing. If he's alive, I know where he's, I mean, I have a, an idea where he's at. Yeah. So I went after him, hiked down through, and it wasn't even really that far, half a mile, three quarters of a mile, um, and found him by a little, little lake. There was a cabin there. I'm like, hey, I yelled to him. You spend the night in the cabin? He's like, what cabin? <laughs> Never knew it was there. He had no light. There was yeah. no light. Yeah. There was a little cabin right there, an old cabin, wood-burning stove, which he wouldn't have been able to start fire. He had nothing, unfortunately. But if he'd known that place was there, he'd have been golden. But yeah, I found him. He was dehydrated. He was actually drinking some of that pond water. Ugh, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he had no food, so he was di- dehydrated, hungry. I gave him water, gave him food, uh, called off everything. Uh, at that point, one of the outfitters' planes circled us, saw us, gave him the thumbs up. We were good. Mm-hmm. Got him back to camp, got him fed, got him hydrated, and uh, 
it was quite the ordeal. I mean, he was super happy to see me. Um, he was happy, you know, that I had hit the SOS. You know, because I told him, and I said, I know you're physically, you're mentally shot, but I need you to know what I went through last night. Yeah. And he understood. Yeah. But he was happy that I hit the SOS. He was willing, you know, whatever the cost, because he was desperate out there. Um, but it all worked out. Mm-hmm. You know, it was crazy, but it all worked out. So after that, after Sounds that like point, an emotional never, roller coaster. Oh yeah, Holy oh yeah. shit. Because you know when you hit that button on the SOS, it's going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars. But, you know... Unless you're paying that insurance. Yeah, unless you're paying the insurance. But it wasn't his in reach. Mm-hmm. We borrowed it from a friend of his. Oh, wow. So I don't even know. I have no idea. That was never discussed. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that would even have covered somebody else that's borrowing it. Probably not. Yeah. You know, I don't know how that stuff works. Um, but, yeah, he never left my side after that the rest of the hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he didn't even have the GPS with him. Yeah. He left everything with me. And his backpack. So at that point, he kept in reach on him at all times. I had my GPS. And basically, we never got out of each other's sight after that. Yeah. You know, just to make sure. That makes sense, though. But it's good. Everybody came out safe. I'm sure there's some serious, valuable lessons learned there. Yeah, it, it could happen. You get down in that dark spruce. Everything looks light. There's no real landmarks and stuff like that to go by. So... It was sketchy. It was scary. It added to the adventure. I could have lived without it, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, we persevered and tried to get him a moose, and unfortunately, it didn't work out. Yeah. You know. And so, I guess rolling into 2020, you know, what are your your big plans coming up for this well, year? In August, I will go be going uh, to New Caledonia. I know most people have never even heard of it. It's a tiny island off the east coast of Australia. Mm-hmm. It's a hunt I've wanted to do for many, many years. My father and I talked about doing it years ago, years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Javan Rusa. Uh, the island is owned by the French. Um, the king of Java, a couple hundred years ago, I believe, um, gifted the French people these deer, these Javan Rusa from... Java, wherever I don't even know where that is. Yeah, but it's an island along the likes of New Zealand. No predators. The only other mammal on the island was a flying fox, a bat. Mm-hmm. You know, so these deer thrive there, free range. Um, like I said, my father and I had looked at this hunt years and years ago. Um, he was getting ready to retire. We're gonna do one big hunt, and we ended up going to New Zealand, mm-hmm. which was a phenomenal hunt. We both took some beautiful red stag so this hunt was put on the back burner a friend at work was asking for suggestions of international hunts that hunt came from you know in my mind and I put it way back and hadn't even thought about it came to the forefront I said hey you know look at this hunt you know it's a hunt I've wanted to do for years and kind of like put it on the back burner never thought about it until now that you're asking me for advice on some international hunts some different hunts to do um, within two weeks of mentioning that to him, I booked the hunt myself. Yeah. You know? So I'm doing that in August, hunting with a friend, uh, Adrian Scott, uh, Java Island Outfitters. 
So we're going to be doing that rooster hunt in August. Um, and then we're going to see what the uh, draw gods have planned for me. Isn't that always so exciting to figure out what's going to yeah. get drawn? And uh, It's 100% that I will be hunting coos in Arizona in December. Uh-huh. There's no way I can't draw. I should have drawn last year. If you look at the odds, which I have, I should have drawn last year. Yeah. How I didn't draw when it says uh, the amount of points I have was 100%. Uh-huh. But squirrely things happen sometimes in some of these states and their draws and this odd stuff. But So I should be hunting coos in December down on the border. Um, and then we'll see what's in between. Whether I will do the B zone or the D zone here in California, or whether I can draw, you know, like I've got 20, 30% chance of drawing a mountain goat in Utah. That would be amazing. Gosh, I want one so bad. Yeah. I want one so bad. Now, know. how many points has it taken you to get to the point where well, I have, you have 20 to 30? I have 20 points right now. Uh-huh. And with that 20 points, I have, like I said, 25 to 30% chance of drawing. You know, how to have 21 points, I would draw, but I don't. So hopefully I can draw that tag. Hopefully Utah adds some tags where someday I can draw that tag instead of having to pay a bunch of money and go to Alaska or British Columbia. Uh-huh. Which I'd rather do the draw tag. You know, uh-huh. And get that over and save money for other hunts. Um but we'll just see what I can draw. I mean, I just did all my Utah applications. Um, I've got to do, I'll probably put in for some New Mexico stuff. I always put in for Colorado. I've got to do Nevada here shortly. But, you know, Is Nevada I'm, open right now? Um, if it's, I think the guide. The guide draw is just closing. Yeah, and yeah. then the application period for that will open up. So I will refer to my friends in Nevada and see what to put in for. Um, I have been fortunate to draw mule deer and antelope in the past in Nevada and had some really good hunts. Um, so we'll see what goes on there. But yeah, I mean, for sure, New Caledonia and should be absolutely for sure December coups. And we'll put the pieces in between there together. Um, Maybe I will go back and do the B zone or something like that that I've been putting on the back burner since I've hunted D zones and killed a hell of a whatever you want to call it in the D zone. Eastern blacktail, bench leg, all this bullshit, <laughs> whatever people want to call these deer. Mm -hmm. You know, I know the big buck I shot in there is not a mule deer. I mean, you look at the tail, you look at the ass end, you look at the glands. That. Whatever, but everybody has their opinion on that shit. Mm -hmm. you know. Whether or not East of I-5 has blacktails yeah. or legitimate blacktails. Yeah, yeah. It's just that Boone and Crockett borderline has caused so much crap yeah. over what a blacktail is and what it isn't. What's a blacktail to you? <laughs> yeah. Is, a deer with a blacktail? Yeah, with a blacktail and no, no white ass, mm -hmm. you know, is a blacktail. Yeah. You know. Little blocky head, little short ears. Mm -hmm. I don't care. And I've seen some humongous deer on the east side of I-5 that I know are 100% blacktail. Because there's no mule deer within, what, 80, 100 miles? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, down here? I mean, sure, up by Red Bluff and Redding and all that stuff, there's mule deer close. Mm -hmm. 
But down here through the Central Valley and down through here, there's no... Yeah, but this is all west of I-5. Yeah, we are here. Yeah. But I, like I said, I've seen deer on the east side, and uh -huh. I know damn good and well. There's no mule deer anywhere near. Well, I know there's plenty of mule deer up around, like, Grass Valley and, yeah. and all that. And as a crow flies for a deer, you know, migratory patterns or whatever, I mean, who knows, you know, but for a for a mule deer to have bred a, a black tail in grass valley and then that deer to have come lower you know what i mean just blah 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 yeah, blah yeah. blah you know I, like i mean i know Boone and crockett has to do what they have to do mm -hmm. for their records but yeah there's some damn nice black tails in the d zone well i'll tell you there were there's really nice black tails if people are picky about it is they can go to the fucking b zone and there are monster blacktails in the B zone that get killed every single year. I see plenty of photos of 30 plus inch blacktail four by fours that come out that are fucking studs. Oh yeah. And that I mean that I mean if people want to get picky about being you know exclusively blacktail, yeah. you know go yeah. scout the B zone. Oh, go yeah. put in 50 days in a season. Well, absolutely. And and you'll kill a or, really really good or buck. Or hunt one of these elite ranches. There's a hunter. Yeah, but that's. I'm yeah. talking about general yeah. tags, public yeah. land. I'm not talking about paying thousands of dollars. Yeah. I, I know I know a guy that's got tons of money, more money than he knows what to do with it. Hunts, he's killed more Boone and Crockett blacktail than any human being I know, though none of them have ever been put in the record book. You don't mm -hmm. care. Yeah. But I've seen some of those deer in there. Just, I've been in his trophy room. If you look at the blacktail and you're like, oh my God. How could that be a yeah. blacktail? They're just ginormous. Yeah ginormous oh, i've yeah. seen deer come out of some of these wilderness areas that look like a damn mule deer they're so big yeah. but people see those racks and they want to cry hybrid they want to cry because they don't think a blacktail can get that big uh-huh and that's the whole thing where they come up on this bullshit you know they see these big blacktail and they're like yeah no it's got to be a bench leg got to be hybrid got to be this got to be that mm -hmm. there's some phenomenal phenomenal blacktail Oh, yeah. In California. Absolutely. And in Oregon. Just, I've seen some giants. Yeah. You know, I just, unfortunately, I've never killed one of those giants. Right. Well, I, mean, I don't ever put the time into yeah. the appropriate area to chase yeah. a blacktail. I mean, like I said. I, and I, kill one of those yeah. giants. I mean, the biggest, in my book, blacktail I've ever killed was killed on the wrong side. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he's over 27 inches wide. He's a freaking stud. Mm -hmm. You know, but. I don't care about record books and stuff like that. I really don't anymore. Yeah. I mean, I killed one Boone and Crockett buck years ago. Uh, a coos deer down in old Mexico. But, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. I don't, you know, whatever. Yeah. Big, I mean, deer's, a big deer's a big deer. Yeah. The, for I don't care what they score. I mean, some deer, score means nothing. Mm -hmm. It's that wall appeal, you know, and stuff. It, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, Deer that scores a lot is going to be big, but there's some damn big deer that don't score. Yeah, you know that are just phenomenal deer to look at on the wall or whatever and stuff like that. that are just like amazing. Mm -hmm. To me, that means a lot more than some inches. That so we're all hung up on inches, and I'm one of them. You know, everybody wants to shoot a 200 inch mule deer, 400 inch bull, or you know whatever the case might be. Because inches are inches, they're big, but. You know, there's some phenomenal animals that don't score those inches that are just 
I'd love to have on my wall. Yeah. All day long. You know, I got a 34-inch mule deer on the wall that doesn't score great, but he's awesome to look at. Yeah, was that your uh, Arizona strip buck? Yeah, Mm -hmm. 34 inches wide, and that's on the frame. No kickers, honest 34 inches wide, 29 and a half inch high. I mean, 29 and a half inch inside, and uh, he scores 190. Mm -hmm. You know, gross. Um, and you get a lot of shit for that buck because people are like, how'd you put in for Arizona Strip and then shoot that buck, right? Well, yeah, because, you know, everybody's thinking these 200, you know, 50-inch monsters and 230-inch monsters and stuff like that, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing was, just, he's big, he's big, he's way big, he's way cool. Mm-hmm. You know, he's built like a giant whitetail. He doesn't have the forks, per se, like a typical mule deer. Everything's off the main beam. He's just actually the locals called him Whitey, you know, just tons of mass, big, huge bladed eye guards. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just impressive on the wall. Yeah, you know, maybe I should have tried to hold out for some 230 inch, 250 inch monster. Or maybe you should have just shot the buck you wanted to shoot. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole thing. Is this sucker gonna look cool on the wall? Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's way wide. He's way cool. He's unique. You know, I love looking at him every day when I come in the house. He's like pretty much the first thing I walk in and I look to the left. And he's pretty much the first thing I look at every day when I come home from work. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. You know, I was fortunate that some friends of mine were able to pick up uh, sheds off him from the prior two years. Oh, get out of town. So I have two sets off of him. I have the set from the year before and the set from two years prior. Uh-huh. I have both those sets of antlers off them, so that makes it even cooler. You know, I have lots of, uh, I have some of my own trail cam pictures, and then I have other trail cam pictures and videos that other people sent to me Yeah. when I killed them, because a lot of people knew that buck. You know? Yeah, you were telling me about that a while back. That, yeah. You know, there's quite a few people that... Yeah, everybody knew that, a lot of the people knew that buck. Well, then again, if you want to get into the trail cam saga... Mm-hmm. Arizona Strip was one of those places the trail cams are just ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. Any big buck comes in a water hole, all the outfitters, everybody knows that deer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the trail, I mean, there's outfitters that have multiple trail cameras on a water hole. They have one doing video and one stills. Yeah. And I've never seen more trail cameras in my life. And it just opened my eyes when I drew that hunt and I went down there and did it, you know. By myself without an outfitter had some good friends that came on board um some helped scout some helped with the actual hunt but it was a total eye opener <coughs> just I see mean, how much of a shit show it is down yeah, there. yeah total shit show i mean i'm down there by myself i had a buddy uh aaron bingham come down and scout with me i went down there like 10 days early and he came down and helped I'm part of that scouting but we were running 15 trail cameras and what an eye-opener. I mean, you got guys, I had no idea. I don't have a bunch of locks and all this different stuff. I have trail cameras, I'm just average hunter. Now I'm dealing with a bunch of outfitters and a bunch of guys trying to make a name for themselves. I didn't have any idea. I had guys pulling my cards out of my trail cameras. Mm -hmm. I had people hanging hats over my trail cameras. 
and all kinds of crooked-ass shit. Mm -hmm. And I was oblivious and naive to that. Yeah, dude. I mean, the, I'm pulling out... The hunting a, and guide world is kind yeah, of fucking insane. I'm, I'm pulling out, you know, SD cards and putting them in my SD card reader or in my phone. And it says, you know, whatever water tank. I'm like, this isn't that water tank. And I never put that in my camera. Mm -hmm. And then I pull another card. I'm like, and it would say something like, you know, whatever app or whatever. I'm like, what is going on? Before it dawned on me, people were pulling my cards, reading my cards. Mm -hmm. Thus, it was leaving their information that it was read on whatever they were using. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea what pictures were being deleted and whatnot. I'm like, holy crap. Okay. So at that point, um, fortunately, a good friend of mine, Jason Carter, had lent me a bunch of his cameras which actual had lock boxes and stuff like that. So then I started running the lock boxes and locks. The cameras that I didn't have like that, I would wire them closed, you know, put wire on, just wrap it a million times so it would be a heck of an effort for somebody to take the wire off and mess with my SD cards and stuff. It was just a shit show. It was just, I'd never, you know, seen anything like that. Mm -hmm. And it was just unbelievable the competition that's like any big buck hits a water hole and hits a trail camera they're virtually dead they're virtually dead because somebody's going to kill it mm -hmm. you know it's if it comes out during season yeah and it's turning into such a thing now that they're coming out with all these different laws in Nevada and Arizona and stuff on trail camera laws um, regulations on tra trail cameras you know because of that and it's just I don't know the hunting has come so far from when I was a kid and growing up to what it is now. So Technologically. Yeah, and so competitive. And so everybody trying to make a name for themselves by killing these big bucks, these big bulls, these big rams. Mm -hmm. That it's become actually, you know, counterproductive when you want to go out and just have a good hunt and enjoy yourself. And all of a sudden it's a competition to got rumors of people blocking off roads and this and that. Oh, there's, there's no rumors big, about it. That's all it, fact. Well, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not, yeah, it is. I'm trying not to open that can of worms. Fucking yeah, open that we know it. We know it's turned into an absolute shit show where people are trying to get the biggest buck or bull on their brochure and this and that and the other. And, and yeah. people are shelling out thousands of dollars yeah, to keep people absolutely. out of areas. And then there's kids out there that are trying to make a name in the business that are hustling the mountains for free just mm -hmm. for that finder's fee and stuff like that and just yeah it's gotten to be so well, there, and the reason why there's kids doing that is because there's guidance and outfitters that are willing to pay, pay the big bucks. substantial amount of money for the finder's fee yeah absolutely if it's big enough yeah and it's just gotten to the point and like I said that Arizona strip hunt was an eye opener I mean you drive down the road and drive by a camp that's got three toy haulers, mm -hmm. five wall tents, and there's one, maybe two tags in that camp. Mm -hmm. You know, the biggest camps you've ever seen. And you know there's only there's only so many tags. Yeah. That's because they have so many people on the mountain. So many spotters, so many guys running trail cameras, so many it's just that's yeah, crazy what it's come to and stuff like that. So Yeah. You know, and I'll continue to do all my stuff. What one of my thought processes I explained to people were now I'm trying to do more of these international 
some of these different hunts is because I'm still going to continue to hunt here in the States, mm-hmm. the Western States, deer, elk, antelope, whatever. But I'm kind of like to the point where, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to retire in about three and a half years. And then I'll be able to put all the time I want into these hunts and start draw, drawing some of these tags that I've been putting in for years. And either I'll hunt a, hire an outfitter or I'll just go and spend a month on the unit or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll be retired and I don't care. Yeah. I just, I'll go and put all my effort into it and, you know, make it worth my while instead of taking a week off vacation, burning 20 points and trying to make something happen. I mean, in my opinion, you know, is a week of time worth burning 20 points? I don't think it is. I mean, I think 30 days of time in the field is worth burning 20 points. Yeah. You know, but that's my opinion. I drew the Arizona strip on max points. Mm -hmm. Max points. I had the most possible points and drew. And like I said, I was there 10 days early scouting. Mm-hmm. Was that enough time? I don't know. I yeah. never got one of those absolute tank bomber 250-inch deer on my trail cameras. And I was running 15, which is nothing mm-hmm. compared to the outfitters that are running, you know, 100-plus cameras and stuff like that. Yeah. So I never got one of those ginormous bucks. I got some way cool bucks. I got a lot of deer and a lot of cool pictures on my trail cameras. But I never got one of those big, huge bombers. So was 10 days scouting enough? No, probably not. Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. But I'll be able to put all that time and effort into hunts once I retire. You know, that doesn't mean I'm not going to hunt. I'm still going to hunt. Yeah. You know, every season here in the States, depending on what I draw yeah. and stuff. But I've decided, you know, before I retire, I'm going to do some of these crazy international you know, hunts and stuff like that. Well, I have the money and the resources to do that. And then, you know, I, I'll just spend way, way more days in the field once I retire. Shed hunting, scouting, doing all that stuff where I can put time and effort into something that's going to take me 20 plus years to draw. Yeah. Now that I have 20 plus points for elk in Utah and 24 points for elk in Arizona. What's your desired hunt for Utah? Well, right now... With that many points? Well, right now, from all my friends in Utah, they're saying that the Utah elk herd is, you know, Utah has changed their objective. You know, where a handful or more years ago, it was all quality, quality. They were pumping out some great, giant bulls. Well, now it's become... They've dropped where they're managing a unit for an eight and a half year old bull, they've dropped it to five and a half year old bull. So they've increased tags and quality has come down. So now I'm kind of like in one of those, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Again, I don't know what 21 points, mm-hmm. you know, is there a unit worth 21 points? Probably, I mean, I could have drawn this year, 100% San Juan archery. Ah. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Tough. I mean, it's the same thing you look at in Wyoming. I have max point for deer. There's not a unit worth max points. Mm-hmm. You know, truly, unless you're a local and you know exactly 
what's going, going on and stuff or like you that. hire an outfitter yeah or you hire an outfitter right now I'd rather hire an outfitter and go hunt in New Caledonia or Ukraine or Kazakhstan or something like that I've always had a hard time handing over a bunch of money in the states for an elk hunt a deer hunt if I draw a sheep tag for sure okay I'm gonna put the money into it yeah I get That's, that yeah you're not that's more than once in a lifetime a tuli elk hunt too i guess yeah but i've never ever i've i haven't hired an outfitter in the states in a long 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 time obviously i hired an outfitter when i drew white sands missile range for oryx mm -hmm. yeah once in a lifetime you got two days to get it done yeah and i shot one hell of an oryx over 40 inches um God, other than that, when was the last time I hired an outfitter? Poof. <laughs> I can't even remember. It's yeah. been so long. Yeah. Because I, I hate, I mean, just the thought of spending money on stuff that I can do myself. But now I've got to a point where these hunts, I can't do myself. I, I can't in my mind fathom 25 points, drawing a hunt and doing it myself unless I have the time put into it and I won't have that time for another three years till I retire so does that mean I won't next year mm -hmm. or the year after draw it and hire an outfitter no it doesn't mean that I mean I might still do that yeah you know just depending on where I am financially and whatnot and but you know when you get those amount of points in those states it just it, it's got that pressure with it that pressure you know, I had a good friend tell me, don't be afraid to fail, which is great advice. But sometimes, it, <laughs> you know, you've been doing this and planning these things for years and years and years, and you want, you know, something better than an average bull. You want, you know, you're one shot at shooting something substantial. Mm -hmm. So do you hire an outfitter or wait three or four years till I retire? So I'm on that bubble right now. You know, that's why I say my suggestion to most people is just hunt. Yeah. Don't do what I did. Just hunt. Try to hunt every three, five years or whatever for elk. I got friends that draw elk tags in Arizona like every three or four years and go down and have a blast. You know, they're not trophy hunters per se. They go down there and shoot some decent bulls and stuff, but they have a good time. And see, I'm missing out on a lot of that stuff by banking all these points and trying to draw, you know. But in some ways, it's paid off. I mean, not many guys get a chance to hunt Shiris Moose. I have shot a real nice bull. Um, virtually nobody I know has ever drawn a tag for Colombian whitetail in Oregon. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't even know what a Colombian whitetail deer is. Mm -hmm. But there's only a couple little pockets of them in Oregon. They were on the endangered species list until 2005. They opened their first season in 2006. For Colombian whitetail deer, I drew in 2010 mm -hmm. and shot what was at the time the world's record uh, SEI muzzleloader Colombian whitetail deer. You know, very cool. I mean, I, you know, it's one of my prized possessions in my trophy room, but people don't know what the heck that is. Now, that's one of those things where building all those points over those years paid off. Yeah. You know. It just says a few things here and there. It pays off once in a while. But for the most point, you know, people should just go out and hunt. I mean, if you can draw a tag every 
two or three years in any rifle unit, whether it's second season or whatever in Colorado, do that. Do that. Learn that area. Learn that country. You're going to be hunting and Colorado, most units, has a chance at one hell of a buck. You know? Yeah. Instead of me, and now I've hunted, let's see, since 2010, I've hunted Colorado twice, third season rifle. Mm-hmm. And I've killed a couple decent bucks. I mean, one of them was 29 inches wide. Um, you know, nice buck. It, didn't, it wasn't one of those big scores, but 29 inches wide, nice for Four by four, happy with it. And then the buck I shot in 2018. Um, not what I was looking for, but unfortunately somebody had made a bad shot, shot him in the face, and it's not like I could let him walk away. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, it took me eight years or whatever to draw this tag, but here's this deer suffering, you know. You do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, ethically, I had to shoot that deer and tag it. I wasn't going to let him suffer and get gnawed on by coyotes. He couldn't even drink. You know, his face was so messed up. So, yeah. That was one of those things. You, you know, the eight years at that point didn't matter. You know, you got to do the ethical thing. You know, and he was a decent buck. So, it is what it is. You know, I couldn't couldn't fathom walking away from him and you know knowing that he was going to suffer and die a miserable miserable death you know, so sometimes you have those choices and that was the choice tag him yeah put him out of his misery you know so now hopefully I won't wait that long to draw another tag in Colorado I'll just draw a second season or do something you know unfortunately I wish Landowner tags haven't got so expensive. That would be another good route, but supply and demand. A lot of the landowner tags these years are just ridiculous. The other third season rifle tag I drew where I shot that 29-inch buck in Colorado. Um, I want to say they wanted almost six grand for a landowner tag in that same unit. Oh, wow. Yeah, just crazy. I mean, it's a highly sought unit but like six grand you know uh, that's supply and demand you know people pay some big dollars for somebody's landowner tags in Nevada Colorado well, Nevada gets upwards of twelve, thirteen thousand dollars some of those tags it's like you know more power to them I guess if they can get it you know like I said some of these people don't want to play the draw game and they have the money and as we know, it's hunting is not what it used to be. Um, highly regulated in some states, highly overregulated in some states. You know, so there's only so many tags in some of these trophy units. But I guess that's the way it is. Something we got to deal with. But I don't know. Yeah. You know, I've come to a point, like I said, in my in my life, where you know we've repeated it over and over. I've killed enough animals where now it's all about quality, and in that turn has kept me out of the field a lot. You know, but like I said, a few more years I'll be retired. I'll be spending a lot more time in the field, and hopefully living the dream out there hunting and won't care, shed hunting, doing my thing. 
So, but in the meantime, I'm gonna do some of these crazy international type hunts and you know free range, actually you know free range hunts that people don't even know about. You know, so just go have fun doing. It. Yeah, I'm gonna enjoy that. I mean, this New Caledonia rooster deer hunt, free range deer, and like the outfitter said, you see a fence, and that's to keep the deer out. Yeah. You know, he says we'll see like a thousand deer a day. Yeah. That's just. <laughs> crazy so super looking forward to that and, you know hunting some of these different animals and get at least that one big mountain hunt in Kazakhstan you know for Ibex you know sheep hunting is just going to be one of those things if I ever beat the odds and draw the tag because I can't afford $20,000 for a dull sheep hunt and the rest of the sheep are way more than that yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things. You got to do what you can, hunt what you can. Um, to me, if people want to hunt sheep, go hunt Audad. What a cool hunt. Barbary sheep, what a phenomenal sheep hunt. I mean, that's a real sheep hunt. Mm -hmm. I killed my ram on BLM down in New Mexico. And, yeah, way cool hunt. Very cool hunt. Mm -hmm. I know some of those hunts have got very expensive in West Texas, but yeah, there's a lot of opportunities in New Mexico. Um, High West Outfitters has got some pretty awesome, yeah. epic opportunities for Audad. Yeah, it's about sixty five hundred a pop, but, yeah, but way they're cool. killing fucking monster Audads. Way cool. Just it's a real sheep hunt. Yeah, it's, Jim Breck is a great person too. A badass hunt. It's those animals are highly underrated. Mm -hmm. Highly underrated. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I hope to do it again because they're just, it's a phenomenal hunt. You know, whether it's on private or public, it's a way cool hunt. You know, if people want to hunt sheep once once in their life, you know, very, very, very cool hunt. People don't realize, they're like, ah, exotic. <laughs> Dude, those sheep have been moving down there for a long, long, long time. Wild, wily, just highly underrated yeah. I mean I've seen Audad and you go like oh there he goes and you go over to try to respot him and like where did they go they're gone it's just like how did that happen this thing was just right here gone uh -huh. yeah. they're a very cool animal to hunt very cool and I think coos deer is highly underrated I mean a lot of people know but a lot of people don't hunt them which is cool for people like me that now want to hunt them every second or third year down in Arizona yeah because I can know I can go hunt them and they're so fun to hunt so fun to hunt very cool deer but they don't have those big mule deer racks mm -hmm. you know but who cares you know super fun to hunt very cool animals super enjoy those right on man well I guess that about wrap it up huh sure yeah <laughs> I'm sure we could go all day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as much as we love hunting. For sure. Absolutely. Well, what was uh, what would you say for your Alaska trip was your favorite piece of gear that you used? Um. Well, I mean, the Kuyu was phenomenal. I wear it on all my hunts. But do you have a specific, you know, was it a Kenai jacket or insulated pants or? Uh, I don't know. I mean... I wore the attack pants every day, guide jacket every day. Um, 
I wouldn't go anywhere without the Kenai or my Ultra Down because they don't weigh anything. Yeah. The Kenai is phenomenal the way it breathes. Yeah. You know, the Ultra Down has its application, and that's when I get to that point where I'm going to sit for hours, you know. Mm-hmm. But the Kenai is cool because you can move with it on. It's going to breathe. Yeah. But those pieces, I mean. Detrimental to your yeah, backpack. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I mean, worked really well. Uh, the peak refuel for food was phenomenal. Right on. Um, you know, those those items right there just made everything come together. Yeah. You got to have that food. You got to have those calories. Yeah. And you got to have good gear. I don't care what pattern or what solid or whatever. You know, I, you can't go wrong, especially when you're on a hunt like that. And it means everything to that hunt. Like I said, my buddy got soaking wet, soaking wet. But he had all his kuyu, my kuyu, yeah. <laughs> that he borrowed, and he made it through a freezing night, wet. I mean, that says a whole lot right there. Yeah. I mean, it, it was still able to keep him warm, and, you know, that to me, when you're on a hunt like that, you need the best gear that you can afford, and sometimes I tell people, gear that you can't afford, because mm-hmm. if you the thought process into how much is that money gonna how much is that gear gonna cost me over the years nothing I mean per hunt that you use it on you're gonna get your money's worth out of it that's why I tell people sometimes you know buy the best that you can afford and sometimes what you can't afford you know because it's gonna be worth its weight in gold when the time comes to it on that hunt of a lifetime and that Alaska trip was a hunt of a lifetime yeah so you can only bring so much gear into the field with you because you have weight restrictions. So in that way, you know, that stuff, that Kuyu doesn't weigh anything, and it works well. Like I said, I wore the same, you know, kind of embarrassed to say it, but I wore the same base layer Kuyu shirt. Oh, There's no embarrassment. Time, There's no know? embarrassment in that, man. You That's know? just practicality. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Did I stink after a while? Sure. Yeah. Those moose didn't care. Yep. Those moose, most of those They're moose, never seen it a, doesn't matter. They never seen a person. Yeah. One of our pilots, he'd been working for the outfitter for five years. He'd never been into this area. Yeah. You know, they, they didn't care. You know. Yeah. Well, how can people look you up? Um, social media. All I do is uh, Instagram mm-hmm. at Deer Slam. At Deer Slam. You got any questions or you want to talk about that outfitter I hunted with? In Alaska, absolutely hit me up. You want to talk about the outfitter that I'm going to be hunting with in New Caledonia and uh, Ukraine, hit me up. Um, any questions about any gear, peak refuel, KUYU, anything, what rifle, what bow I'm using, anything, at Deer Slam. Hit me up Cool. on a DM. Right on, man. Cool. Well, we'll leave it at that. Thanks. All right, brother. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. 
Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.